there if you will look at look just for a moment in the year that King Uzziah died in the year that King Uzziah died as I reflect on 2012 and the opening chapters of 2013 there have been some things that have happened in my life happened in in, in just just life in general that I haven't been all that happy with I don't know if anybody can relate to having a bad year. Can anybody in the building relate to having a bad year? I remember a couple of days ago, Pastor AC and I, we went out into the forest area. We heard that there were killer gobbler turkeys that were trying to poke the eyes out of children. And so God has called me into a twofold ministry, not to just protect you from the killer deer, but now to protect you from the killer gobblers. And as we were out investigating, somehow, don't ask me how, but Pastor A.C. got poison ivy in his bloodstream, not just on it, in his bloodstream. And the doctor told him, and correct me, Pastor A.C., if I'm wrong, the doctor told him that had he not come into the emergency room when he did, that he may not have woken up in the morning. That's how bad it was. And I looked at him, I said, Pastor A.C., it could have been a lot worse. He said, well, Pastor Hank, how could it possibly be a lot worse? I could have died. I could have lost my life. I said, Pastor AC, it could have been me. <laughs> Day before yesterday, Robert got deathly sick, and we went to the emergency room, and we sat there, and we went in, and they, they gave him tests. They gave him, <laughs> I mean, just, just really didn't solve his problem, didn't answer his question, didn't really help at all except charge him $1,500 and he was kind of griping well, he wasn't kind of griping he was griping and he was complaining he was moaning and and all of that and I said Robert it could have been worse if I what could possibly work I can't even walk I can't I'm about to die just I'm, I'm all I'm all in pain I said Robert it could have been me can anybody relate that there are things that we go through and I remember the kind of cliche that I live by look at somebody and say I once complained that I had no shoes till I met a man that had no feet. I enjoyed 1996. Now, I don't know if 1996 was a good year for you, but in 1996, Pastor Ron and I paid cash for a 26-foot pontoon boat, turquoise and white, and we spent many, many wonderful weekends and, and staff parties and all kinds of things we did on the pontoon boat. I remember 1999. In 1999, this ministry paid cash for a 1999 Suburban, which I'm still driving, and a 1999 Volvo, which we had up until just a couple years ago. 1999 and 1996 were good years. Look at somebody say, that was then, this is now. I'm, a, I'm at a place in my life where I need some good things to begin to happen. I need some doors to open. I need to seed to germinate and sprout and bring forth the crop. I've sowed not just six. I've sowed seven. I've sowed eight. I've quoted every scripture. I've, I've read every bumper sticker. I've declared things over me, over my family. I've posted. I've wrote it. I got it in the garden. I got a little plaque there that says in everything, give him thanks. But there are times in life when it's tough to appreciate the life that you're living when things go bad, things go sour. And you know there's, there's terminology I don't use. I've changed my terminology to say life vacuums. And sometimes I want to use the other word. Can anybody relate? It's like, it's like what could possibly go wrong again? 
And then I realize that sometimes because I have chosen to live a holy life, shun the wrong and do the right, I realize that there is a big bullseye on my back. I realize that Jesus said, if they hate me, they're going to hate you. Jesus said, blessed are you when men shall persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake, for great is reward in heaven. I like part of that scripture that says blessed, but I don't like the part about the reward in heaven. I want some I want some ham, hello, where I am. I'm tired of eating spam. Can anybody relate? It, I wouldn't mind just I wouldn't mind just I've heard I've heard just a few minutes ago that there's a possibility that the, the, the dinar in Iraq is getting ready to explode as I've shared publicly. Pastor Ron and I have a check made out to us personally for two hundred thousand dollars with a very wealthy friend that has sowed hundreds of thousands of dollars in the dinar he stands to make two million dollars on the profit and he's already tied that check to me was unfortunately it's a beautiful check it's got beautiful embroidery and i love my name hank day i love it but but the challenge right now is i can't cash it it is pretty much worthless i need hello i need some things to start happening good in my life can anybody relate am i just preaching to the angels that uh this yesterday pastor david i friday pastor ac calls it hey i'm at the mexican restaurant uh, come eat with me well i never turned down invitation for mexican food it's just something that does not happen in my life so i was calling christine because she likes mexican food and she loves pastor ac I was calling Christine to see if she'd like to go with me. And unfortunately, a precious 83-year-old grandma stops right in front of me, dead stop. I look up just in time to say one word, Jesus. Jesus. All I, now, now, that's the only time. I mean, you know, it's, sometimes in life you have time to say more. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be. But this was not one of those, our Father. This was Jesus. I swerved, locked him up whacked her she gets out of the car and she is so concerned about me come to find out her name was margaret she had a stroke five years ago she calls her husband ej edward james edward james is dying of cancer 87 years old his brain his lungs and his heart and right there what the enemy would have liked to have been a bad situation points on my driver's license a ticket all kinds of things that could have happened i got a chance to lay hands on ej and margaret and pray that she would not be stressed that ej would be healed i look back over my shoulder the officer that is there assisting me very kind very polite very respectful is crying tears are flowing down his eyes he gets in the car and said i want to thank you for honoring the older generation a lot of people just don't seem to care and I said, I love my grandma and grandpa. I said, I could start crying right now thinking about how close I was but, and what I learned from my grandparents. But there are, there are times when it's like, and I, and I don't appreciate the statement, if life gives you a lemon, make lemonade. If life gives me a lemon, I want to chuck it at somebody and, and whop them upside the head. I'm tired of lemons. Hello? I don't, I don't like lemonade. I'm not a lemonade drinker, and I don't want anybody to give me any more lemons. I need some pomegranates. I need some blueberries. I need some Alzheimer's medicine food. I need some good stuff. Can anybody relate? So I'm pretty much tired of 2013. I'm ready for 2014. Beam me up, Scotty, and back to the future or whatever you're going to do that I could just bypass this particular season of my life. Isaiah felt the very same way that I felt. Let me tell you about Isaiah. Uzziah was his uncle, and Uzziah was king. In this particular season of life, Uzziah had conquered the world. 
Uzziah had created phenomenal instruments of war. He, under his watch, the catapult was invented, which was the, the ability to throw a very large rock over the walls of fortresses and do great damage. He was a great warrior. He was a great king. And what an honor it was for Isaiah to have an uncle that was ruling the world. Can you imagine the carte blanche? Can you imagine the banquets? Can you imagine the, 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 the prestige? Can, can you imagine all the things that were attached to being the king's nephew? You got to sit at the finest tables, the nicest restaurants, meet the coolest people, have the best toys, be respected, be honored. And in this season of, of Isaiah's life, he kind of got his eyes off the things that he was supposed to be doing, kind of got his eyes off of his destiny, off of his focus, because he declares this, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw what? Help me. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw what? Come on, shout it, shout it. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw what? Okay, you're all wrong. Do we have the scripture? Did you put it up there for me? In the year, King James, read it with me. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw what? Shout it out me. Also. also. Look at someone and say, also. Isaiah had got his eyes off of God and got his eyes on stuff. Got his eyes on circumstances. Got his eyes on tragedy. Got his eyes on negativity. He surrounds himself with people that agree things are really bad and life really does vacuum. But there was a moment in Isaiah's life when he must have remembered. There must have been something in his spirit that he remembered where he used to be with God. And he begins to refocus on God. And guess what? God was right where he left him seated on a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. May I tell you today, no matter how dark it gets, how gloomy, how, how negative it gets, that when the clouds roll away, the sun will come up tomorrow. You can bet your bottom dollar the sun will come up tomorrow. This might be a bad day, but this day is coming to closure, and tomorrow the promises of God are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. I put the bad things on the back burner and I reach towards those things which are before because I'm pressing towards a goal, a mark, the prize, the high calling of God. And some of us, the only way we can get to where we're supposed to be is that we're going to go through tests. Some of us don't test well. I was very privileged younger in life to have a photographic memory. It's very privileged. I don't, I don't ever remember studying for an exam, ever. Two years of college. I don't ever remember really having a study sheet. I had the, the ability to read, to remember, and I did very well in college. In college, in, in two years, I got all A's except one class, geology, which is a little tough. I got a B in that class. But I don't, I don't ever remember preparing for a test. And, and I always seemed to do pretty well in spelling. My mom was a major uh, English major, and she always helped me in areas like that. But some of us just don't test well. We might know the material, we might have the material memorized, but when we, come to a, when we come to the pressure of taking the test, a lot of us panic. Look at somebody and say, don't panic. I remember Ken Coleman was stuck on the elevator with two or three of his friends, and as, as the elevator was going up, it stopped in between floors, and they all looked at each other as, what are we going to do now? I remember Pastor Ronald's friend 
and her husband got stuck on an elevator in Gatlinburg and they had to take off the trap door and do you remember that and they had to get off the elevator through the top and she had a dress on somehow she managed to do it very ladylike we were very impressed when we heard the story but Kenneth Copeland looked at his friends and said don't panic it's not as bad as it seems it could be a lot worse look at somebody say it could be a lot worse it could be you instead of me go ahead it could be you you could be going through all this stuff you could be you could be putting out fires and killing giants I personally have run out of stones I had five stones I had five five major attacks I'm out of stones I got to get can anybody relate it's like I've done everything I know to do I've said everything I know to say declared everything that I know to declare but God's Word tells us today that God is right where we left him. He's still on the throne. His name is above every name. His throne is above every throne. His power is above every power. He's still in control. And Job said, though he slay me and the skin worms destroy my body, yet in my flesh I am going to praise God. Job knew there was a resurrection. He knew that better days were ahead. He was going through some stuff. Didn't know why he was going through stuff. But he said, I will not curse God. I will stand my ground. I'll live for God. Naked I came in this world. Naked I shall leave. If I crash and burn, I'm still going to serve the Lord. And what a great attitude. What a great mindset. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord seated upon the throne, high and lifted up, and his, and his train filled the temple. We know that train through years and years of study, that God clothes himself with our praises. That train is like the veil of a beautiful bride. It, it, it flows from his head down to the, the bottom of the throne. And every time we praise God, we clothe him with our words. That's why it's so important to be an instrument of praise and an instrument of worship. I saw the Lord high and lifted up, seated upon the throne, his train filled the temple. Above it, the train, to the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain they fly. And one cried out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Now, I know we, this is a very popular passage of Scripture that we, we love to reiterate and we love to look at. But when we pray, Lord, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. If you had a mirror today that had the ability to reflect what was taking place in heaven, you would see a throne, you would see God on it, you would see Jesus seated to the right hand, and you would see angels praising and worshiping continuously night and day. They rest not night and day declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And as the angels continue to do what they're supposed to do in heaven, the Bible says the earth is filled with the glory of God because God set that perpetual worship up. I remember several years ago, when my cousin Kent went to get married, the night before his wedding, we took him out to uh, Shoney's or Denny's or somewhere, and we told him that we were going to do some very cruel things to him. I won't tell you what. If he didn't stand up and leave the restaurant in three verses of row, row, row your boat. So he got up, took a glass, whacked it with a knife, and he said, tomorrow is my wedding. And I thought I was with friends. But my cousins are going to do something very embarrassing to me 
if I don't leave this restaurant in three verses of row, row, row your boat. So he began, if you're a round kid, he's a type A sanguine, he had it all covered. He had one section singing, row, row, row your boat, gently down the stream. Then he had another section going, row, row, row your boat. And he, another and he had all four sections going, and I was very impressed. He's a very good singer. And we didn't do anything mean to him that night. His brother went to get married, and we took the bride all night, put her in a motel, never let her see her husband until the next day. Now, that was pretty cold. But with him, we had some mercy on him because he, he led the restaurant. With that same attitude of, while this section singing, this section singing, this section singing, this section singing, if you were to walk up to the seraphims and say, where's David? Or where's Jacob? Or where's Moses? They would open their mouth to answer your question, but the only word that would come out of their mouth is holy. And they declare, as one says holy, before he finishes the word holy, the next angel saying holy, then this angel saying holy. And as they begin to declare holy, 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 the area or the ambiance where they're at is saturated with glory and anointing and favor. For example, I today can create a bloodline. I can create a river just by declaring that this sanctuary is holy. And when I say holy, and Brother Keith says back holy, with an attitude, Oh, there you go. And Robert says, holy, with an attitude. Oh, Robert can't talk. He has laryngitis. Somebody say holy for Brother Robert. Holy. Help me. Where I stand to where you declare this area becomes holy. And all of a sudden we begin to declare, as I walked in the door, I felt his presence. And I knew this was the place where God abounds. For this is the temple God Almighty dwells in. We are standing on holy ground. And we begin to declare that, and we begin to make that happen. And as Isaiah witnesses this, this glorious cloud, these angels, very quickly, let me tell you about the angels. They have six wings. Six is the number of man. And the purpose of the wings, with twain they cover their face. They declare no matter how beautiful they are, watch this, they don't want their glory to compete or take away from the glory of God. That's where humility comes in. So many powerful scriptures about being humble. Pastor A.C. wrote that song that he sang today, Cast Me Not Away. And the song says, if, it, if, you, if you require myself, I would give myself. But all you require is a humble and contrite spirit. When you walk in humility in good times and bad times, can anybody relate? Led Zeppelin said it so well in, in June of 1971. Good times, bad times, you know I've had my share. It goes with the flow. There's going to be peaches and there's going to be lemons. It's all a part of life. It's all a part of where we're at. This poor little grandma, 83 years of age, was going to Cook's to buy some macaroni and cheese. She's sitting at a red light, minding her own business, when all of a sudden, BAM! That's off the Cook Emerald. That was me whacking her with my, six, my 1990 Chevy. She didn't, she didn't get up that day dressed for an accident. She didn't get up that day dressed for a tragedy. She just got up to walk through life and do the few chores that she could do at 83 years of age. You see, there, there, are, there are seasons in our life. We don't get up saying, hey, I'm probably going to be deceived today. Hey, there's probably going to be some warfare today. We probably should. When the minute our feet hit the floor like Donnie realized that we have nine lives, we've already lost six and compromised three. 
I mean, we are walk, we're, we're, we're a walking time bomb. We're just going to walk somewhere. Let, let something blow up. Can anybody relate? But the word declares, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. In this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So what we cannot do is get caught up in pride or get caught up in anything that would take away from the glory of God. So the angels would cover their face so that, that no one could see their glory. Then they would cover their feet. In other words, they, they prepared to come into the presence of God. There are many people, let me say this very, very carefully. There are many people that from Sunday noon service until the next Sunday noon service, they do absolutely nothing to prepare themselves to go into the glory of God. There's no prayer. There's no praise. There's no worship. There's no declaration. There's no light. They just, they come in, they sit, soak, and sour. Hello. They sit, soak, and sour. The music's too loud. The music's too soft. There's no hymnals. The, AC, the, the praise and worship leader doesn't have any hair. What's that all about? Hello. It, see, it seems like people, all they do is gripe, fuss, and complain. And they, and they, and they mentally, they, I've heard that word before. I've heard that scripture before. I got Pastor Nick right here in my Bible. He preached that 11 years ago like you remembered it. Hello. Like you remembered everything I taught you 11 years ago. I can't teach it again. Hello. So they do absolutely nothing to prepare themselves in the presence of God. They get up on Sunday morning. They put their somebody, done somebody wrong song, country, western music, all the way to church. They backed out of the garage, ran over the kid's bike, told the kid a hundred times not to put the bike behind the car. By now, Dad, you should realize the bike is behind the car. You need to move the car, move the bike before you get in the car. Am I helping anybody in the building? We fuss and fight all the way to church, or we decide where we're going to eat lunch, or we decide, or we talk about what happened the night before. We walk in with an attitude that, 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 that smells... Our, 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 our worship is stinking. Am I helping anybody in the building? I, they look at somebody and say, he's not talking about me. He, I have fasted. I have prayed. I've spoken tongues. I've, I've done everything I can to get ready for the, for the service. I'm, I'm dressed up. I'm nice. I'm ready. Ready. Foot. They got their feet covered. Got their face covered. With the other two wings, they're con constantly hovering about the throne of God. You ever met anybody that's constantly hovering around the throne of God? Good times, bad times, bless, a negative attack, that no matter what's going on in their life, the words that come out of their mouth, I mean, they're, they're, they're precious, they're special, they're a blessing, they're, they're a light. They're a, there are men in this building that are, that are like that. You really are like that. You just don't realize how much power you have when you walk in that particular mindset, when you walk in that particular favor and blessing. Listen, no matter what's going on all around you, God is God. The cross is there. Resurrection is coming. There is a rapture. There is a heaven. There's favor. There's blessing. And if we don't get into that until we get to that glory land, then for millions and millions of years, we will rest not day and night praising him, worshiping him, enjoying the things that he's prepared for us. Give the Lord a hand, if you will, in this place. As these angels... Thank you, Daniel, son. As these angels begin to worship God, it creates an ambiance of power. That's why Pastor Ron has been teaching the past several weeks on the power of our words. 
there are doors that are closed to us that the only way those doors are going to be opened is through communication with God. He says, you have not because you ask not. There are things that God has promised in his word. He's even promised to do creative miracles for us. There's a passage of scripture that says, if you need anything from God, ask him and he shall give it to you. And then Jesus says, again I say, whatsoever you desire and you pray, ask the Father and you shall receive them. In the Greek, the translation there, what Jesus is saying, if you need something from my dad, ask for it. And if we don't have it, we'll make it. How cool is that? God custom makes, he custom molds his answer to fit your life. He's not going to give you something that's going to apply to somebody else. Jacob got Esau's blessing. Esau's blessing wasn't all that great. When you look at Jacob's blessing, it was a better blessing than Esau. But Jacob coveted Esau's blessing. Listen, God's got something for you that's better than anybody else can give you. It's custom made for you. And all he wants you to do is communicate with him. The Bible says when the angels continuously praise and worship, immediately the posts of the doors were shaken. That means the very hinges that will try to keep your blessings closed to you, the very doors that are locked and bolted, God said, if I can't open the door, I'll blow the posts and I'll give you the whole entrance. I'll give you the, your heart's desire if you will persistently pursue me like you really mean it. Ye shall seek me and find me when you search with me with all your heart. We quote Jeremiah 29 all the time. I know the plans I have for you. But three verses earlier it says, You shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. So there's a pursuit here that the angels have. They, they have they're, they're walking in this vein of creating power, creating glory, creating favor. Notice what happens. Isaiah is, is, got his eyes off of God, got his eyes on circumstances, and all of a sudden, he just catches a glimpse. Pastor A, just a, just a glimpse. And he catches a glimpse of God's glory. Notice what he says there, if you'll go with me to Isaiah 6. Verse 5. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When you pursue God's glory with attitude, when you pursue God's glory with effort, God does not play hide and seek with his children. He said, call on me, I will answer thee and show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. He does not hide from his kids, but he wants his kids to pursue him and he wants their hearts to be serious in their pursuit the same way a hunter would pursue a deer the same way an archer would pursue a target that's the way God wants us to pursue him with effort and with attitude and when we find God and when we acknowledge God the first thing we realize is how great he is and the second thing we realize is how dumb of us to be so negative and so critical when we see how great God is. And it's like God didn't oversleep. Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus four days late. But the presence of God will remove any stench of any dead thing. 
the presence of God will remove the sting of any, uh, any negativity. When God comes, he comes with joy and fullness of power. Matter of fact, he said, joy unspeakable and full of glory. And so what happens, the first thing that happens is that when we acknowledge who God is, then we realize how dumb we have been. And Isaiah declares, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. For I've seen the glory of God. And he said, I'm not just unclean, but the people, let's read that again, chapter 6. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I think one of the main focuses on Wednesday night teaching has been be careful what you say and be even more careful what you hear. Look at somebody and say, wrong voices, wrong choices. Right voices, right choices. How many times have you gone to Walmart or Academy? Let's, 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 let's make me the brunt of this joke. And you went to the section to buy an alcohol because everybody knows that when the turkey are on the roost, when you take the alcohol and you say, who cooks? Who cooks for you? That's what the owl says. He learned something about turkey hunting. That gobbler will, will gobble. And then you know where the turkey's at. You get about 40 yards off. You set up your blind. You put your shotgun on your knee because the turkey can see you blink at 100 yards. You can't move. You've got to be perfectly still. And when the turkey comes off the roost, that's when he meets Jesus or wherever, wherever turkey meet whenever they go to that turkey land in the sky. But how many times have you, have you gone to buy a dishwasher or a TV or a turkey call and there was some guy there that said, you know what? This is good, but this is better. I don't know, Pastor David... Pastor Cotty, you, you, you're much younger than I, but do you remember the Edsel commercial? You've got to have an Edsel. And it was pretty much a, a worth, it was like the Corvair. How many remember the Corvair? It had a great big rubber band that, that I mean, it was pretty much a worthless vehicle, but it was like, you, you go to buy something, and I know Chris and I can relate, because we go to buy a guitar or an amp, and the salesman says, oh no, you need this amp. It's like, holy. It's, it's, it's supernatural. It's, it's, it's a God can... This, this, this amp will make you play better. This mark... Can, can anybody relate? See, it's important who you allow in your life to give you input. Because what Isaiah realizes, not only is my confession out of order, not only are my words negative and my spirit critical... But I'm hanging around a bunch of people that they're negative and they're critical. And they don't really mean to be. Some people see the glass half full. Some people see the glass half empty. While they're observing the, the glass, I'm drinking it. I knew that Robbie wouldn't appreciate that. There are seasons... Let me, let me back up. <laughs> There are voices in your life that will give you bad counsel. There are voices in your life that will give you bad, inf bad or wrong information. There are voices in your life. That's why the Bible says there's safety in the multitude of counseling. Before you buy a vehicle that you're going to drive, well, I've been driving a vehicle since 1990. I've been driving a vehicle since 1999. I would say I'm a long-term vehicle owner. 
If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Hello? So before I go to buy a vehicle, or I go to buy a jet ski, or I go to buy a deer rifle, I want to get some counsel. I'm not big on the internet, but there are those in my life that can go on the internet and they can share with me what I need to get. So it's important what kind of knowledge you're receiving. The Bible says that a lack of knowledge produces death. You know what's worse than a lack of knowledge? Anybody, talk to me. Wrong knowledge. Absolutely. You tell somebody to put the gas where the oil goes in the jet ski, you ain't going to play that day. Wrong knowledge is just as bad as lack of knowledge. And that's why it's important to know what's going on, know what's happening. And so Isaiah makes a confession. Man, I am, I am not where I need to be. I'm not confessing what I need to confess. And I'm not hanging around the right kind of people. Notice what happens. The angel goes to the altar of the apothecary and takes a coal from the altar of the apothecary and touches his lips. And in that moment, Isaiah is completely transformed, translated, transrenewed, changed to the attitude of now he's ready to go do the work of the Lord. Let's read it together so you will know that I'm not embellishing. Verse 6. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched my lips. Thine iniquities is taken away, and thy sin is purged. In the book of Exodus, when God brought four million people out of Egypt into the desert, he gave them several guidelines to live their life by. The most important thing was he gave him the Ten Commandments, four which are vertical, six which are horizontal. The first four is in your relationship with God. The other six is in your relationship with life. And then he began to tell them that he wants to have a sanctuary that they can worship him in. And he gives them the guidelines of the sanctuary. All of the elements are solid gold. All of the tapestries are purple and fine linen silk. Gorgeous. It didn't look like much on the outside, but it was phenomenal on the inside. Many of us may not have the Kent and Barbie figure. Many of us may not have a head full of hair like Pastor. The Bible says, blessed is the man with hoary head. That means white, so I guess now I'm blessed. Some of us don't, don't have all, all that the, 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 the TV and the, all the advertisements say that we need to have. But God does not judge from the exterior. He always looks on the interior. Am I helping? On the and in this sanctuary, it was gorgeous. There were three levels, and I won't, I won't take time to elaborate on that. But right before you stepped in the presence of God, there was the altar of the apothecary. It was a perpetual altar. It meant that 24-7. How many has ever seen the flame at the tomb of John F. Kennedy? It was like that. It never went out. It was constantly, there was constantly potpourri, if I, if I can use that word by explanation. There was a, a, a mixture, a conglomerate of spices that God ordered them to use to put together to create a certain smell. And that particular perfume, that apothecary, was only for the presence of God. And God said, don't market this. Don't reproduce it. Don't replicate it. This is just for God's glory. 
Everything in the tabernacle was anointed with oil. The oil was made from five ingredients. Now watch this. Of the five ingredients, three of them had to be crushed, boiled, or struck. The sap of a tree was in the apothecary. The tree had to be wounded and bleed to get the product for the apothecary. There are wounds in life. There are hurtful things in life. There is betrayal in life. There is distrust in life. There, there's abandonment in life. Every one of those wounds produces a product that gives us the ability to go before the presence of God and proclaim our need and our desire to Him. He said, I hear the cry. As a child cries, it falls down. It hurts its knee. It drinks some Lysol. Whatever. When it cries out, the Bible says its cry gets the attention of God. And when you're wounded... And when you're hurt and when you're in pain and you go to God, God hears that cry, that, that, that wound, that crushing that takes place gets the attention of God. The five ingredients to create the oil of the anointing, the oil, most of you know about the olive, it had to be crushed, it had to be trashed, it had to be completely permeated and become liquid, and then it was added with four other ingredients to create this anointing oil. In Exodus 30, 32, God said, On the altar of the apothecary, I want you to take five other ingredients, and I want you to crush them, and I want you to put them on the altar, and I want that fragrance to go up night and day. So when the priest went beyond the veil to step into the Holy of Holies, he didn't go with his mindset. He didn't go with his agenda. The, the, the priest would fan the apothecary and the first thing that went in the presence of God was the Ark of the Covenant was the fragrance that God had determined was to greet him. I'll be very, very careful what I say in the next few minutes. There was a season in my life where I spent a lot of time with officials of a denomination. When I would go meet with those officials, I would wear Paul Sebastian. There's a season in my life when I would do stuff with my peers. When I did stuff with my peers, I wore polo. There's a season, and still is in my life, when I choose to be romantic, I wear happy. A clinique. It's a home run. At one time, I had eternity. I had eight different colognes lined up, and depending on what kind of mood that I was in, I would wear that particular cologne. Cologne smells different on different people. Matt wears a cologne that I love, but when I, I don't know what it is, but when I try to wear it, it smells like, it smells like muddy boots. It does, it does, in other words, it smells different on one than it does the other. Our words create our ambiance of God's presence. I wonder what we smell like when we come into the presence of God. Do we smell like happy? Do we smell like Paul Sebastian? Or do we smell like muddy boots? We came in with a complaint. We complain the whole time we're there. And then we leave with the complaint. And some of you people, you don't have B.O. You have S.O. Spiritual odor. And it's not really all that... I told you I'm going to be very, very careful here. So let me back up. God loves you just the way you are. We're all his creature. We're all going to heaven... So do the right thing, hug a tree, choke a fish, be blessed.
the moment you shift from your mindset, from your viewpoint, to God's mindset, to God's viewpoint, you become a vessel, an instrument of praise and the worship, and the minute that happens, your lips are purged and you're ready to do something for God. The moment. It's all about the words. It's all about this 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 was was intended to hold water. This lid was intended to keep the water from pouring out all over everything. This podium was created just for me to stand behind, hide my belly, and preach the gospel. This this basin was 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 intended just to hold flowers. This offering bucket was intended to, to hold your offering. Just as all these things have a purpose, you were created not to be rich and famous, not to be an American idol, not to be a fan of J-Lo, Bono, or, or, or Jen-Lo. Jen you were created to be an instrument of praise and worship. And from your mouth, praise and worship is supposed to permeate and flow to such a degree you saturate everything around you that everybody looks and sees the glory of God operating out of your life. Now, you might have to be Grandma Carolyn's age to get to that place where you talk like that, but that's a goal that we're all pursuing. So let's just review. It's 10 minutes to 12. Let's review just for a minute. Isaiah's all messed up. Priorities out of order. The things important to him crash and burn. He looks up. Look at somebody say, he looks up. Sees the glory of God. The moment he looks up and sees the glory of God, he looks in. Self-inventory. Looks in the mirror. I'm messed up, and I'm hanging around people that are messed up. Then, when the worship touches his mouth, he looks out. The next verse. Look at verse 8 with me, just for a minute. Took the, talk, took the coal, laid it upon my mouth, Lo, this has touched my lips. Thy sin is purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I. Send me. Guess what? It's God's will for your life to be healed. It's God's will for your, for your life to be whole. It's God's will for your, your life to be complete. There are seasons that we go through stuff that's getting us ready to become complete, whole. There, there are th Let me say this carefully. There are school books and there are classrooms that we have to endure to pass the test. But with the passing of the test always comes a promotion. Am I helping anybody in the building? So, so you're not supposed to be sick the rest of your life. You're not supposed to be trying to recover from drugs the rest of your life. You're not supposed to be in a financial pit the rest of your life. You're going to get healed. You're going to get healthy. You're going to get whole. You're going to look up as a worshiper. You're going to look in as a disciple. And you're going to look out as an evangelist. Look at somebody and say, I see clearly now. The three purposes for your life, body, soul, and spirit, is to look up and worship. Disciple yourself, train, prepare, read, study, hang around people that know stuff. You can't learn something from somebody who don't know anything. Am I helping anybody? It's so funny that when I went through divorce, everybody had an opinion. 
Most people said, you just need to get over it. You know what I wanted to do and did at times? Just slapped them, pushed them down, beat them up. You have no clue what I'm going through. What do you mean get over it? But there are, there are things that happen in your life that you get healthy, you get whole, and then God uses you to bless others and help others. I'm telling you, the stuff you're going through, there are people out there, they don't, have a, they, don't, they, don't, they don't know what you know. They haven't received what you received. They haven't gone where you've gone, and God's going to use them to take them to places they've never been to get healthy and whole and restored. Would somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise? I have one more vein I would like to go into. Can we do this in five minutes? Give me five minutes. Five. Where's my five? Show me five. Five, ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five, thirty, thirty-five. Robbie's living dad's hand up too. I love hate oxymoron. The book of Job. Ten years ago, I preached a, a series of messages entitled The Gospel According to Job. Eighteen weeks, I preached on the book of Job. And then the next 18 weeks, I lived the life of Job. Job was a guy that had his mouth and priority in order. He was a praiser. He was a worshiper. He sacrificed continually. He interceded for his children not knowing that the devil saw everything that Job was doing and tried to stop him. God is not, the devil does not want you to be a good parent. The devil does not want you to be a praiser. The devil does not want you walking in the blessing of finances and, 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 and the favor of God. He does not. And God told the devil, the devil told God, you remove the hedge, he'll curse you. And God gave the devil two Priorities. Can't kill him, and he can't kill his wife. That's how much God values the marriage, and God values you. All the attacks, you know, all the attacks that came. Three, three friends came and sat at a dentist for seven days. They didn't say a word because Job was so distraught. What many people don't know that in this story, there was a fourth friend. Look at somebody say, a fourth friend. No matter what fiery furnace you're enduring, there's a fourth man. No matter what lion's, in, lion's pit you're in, there's a fourth man. No matter what elevator shaft you've fallen down and you're holding on the rebar for dear life, there's a fourth man in that elevator shaft. No matter what kind of report you get from the doctor or the lawyer or whoever, there's always a fourth man. In this 32nd chapter of Job, you don't have to turn there. God gives this kid five chapters. And he begins to acknowledge, first of all, I'm young, you're old, I've been taught to respect my elders, but to be honest with you, the words that have come out of your mouth is not valid. Then he says, two, two times he said, may I share with you my opinion. And in that 32nd chapter of Job, he says, I'm like a wine vat that's plugged. I'm ready to explode. Can anybody relate? You get so full of the things of God, you can't be quiet. You can't sit down. We, you can't shut up. Doris Akers sang a long time ago, sit down. I can't sit down. I just got religion, and I can't sit down. 
There's something on the inside of me that I've got to share. That, that's a, and that's a saying, what I'm sure. So maybe this fourth friend was a saying. But in Job, the 36th chapter, and the 26th verse, this fourth friend shares a revelation. Behold, anytime you find the word behold in the King James, it's a revelation. God is great, and we know I'm not, and neither can the number of his years be searched out, Job 36 and 26. No. Job, it's not a job, it's a man's name, Job. It's directly after the book of Psalms. It was written by Moses in the wilderness, first book of the Bible. For he make a small the drops of water, they pour down rain according to the vapor thereof, which the clouds do distill upon man abundantly. Also, can any understand the spreading of the clouds or the noise of his tabernacle? Hannah, this is a seventh grade question. God asks the question, does anybody in the building know how rain works? Austin does. Anybody else? Robert? Jerry? Heidi? Who else? How does rain work? The sun attracts vapors from lakes, streams, rivers, creeks, creeks, ponds, tanks. These vapors, like a magnet, rises up in response to the sun's heat. And as they rise up, they begin to form clouds. The clouds cool, condensate, and lower. And as they lower, rain begins to fall. Let me tell you how important rain is. In Hawaii, they don't measure rain by the inches. They measure it by the feet. And if it doesn't rain at least four foot in Hilo, there's no harvest of pineapples. Rain determines whether the salmon go back within inches of the place where they were spawned. Rain will allow that salmon to realize it's time to leave the Atlantic Ocean, to leave the Pacific Ocean, and to find the tributaries and rivers in which they came when they were birthed and go within inches and lay their eggs and die. Rain determines that. In Chrisville, Maryland, if you've ever had the privilege of being there when the crabs come in, it's unbelievable. Crab cake, crab sandwiches, crab salad, crab milkshakes, crab ice, I mean, anything you can do with a crab, they do it. But I've been told if it doesn't rain the right amount, the crabs won't return to the bay. We know that rain falls, it softens the earth, it germinates the seed, it causes things to grow. The Bible promises us that the latter rain shall be greater than the former rain. So God is asking a simple, fundamental, scientific question. Do you understand how rain works? And I believe I've presented it pretty clear, haven't I? He said, if you could understand the spreading of the clouds... You can also understand the noise of his tabernacle. If you're in heaven right now, is God playing 88.8? Is he, is he playing 103.1? Or is God in the 70s, 107.4? Or is God in the rock, 106.5? What is the noise of God's tabernacle? As we do that mirror thing, anytime you look in the mirror, like behind you, the word ambulance is always backwards. So if you look in the mirror, you see the word, are you with me? If you look at noise backwards, 
you get the word Zion. So for us to walk in Zion, in the blessings and the promise of God, we need to know what is the noise of God's tabernacle. To do that, I'm going to illustrate. I'm going to ask this second to my immediate right to be prepared to say, Glory. And I want you to say it so loud that we shake the ceiling tile. You guys want to practice? <laughs> oh, Lord. Lordy, Lordy. Okay. Let me repeat that. We're going to say it with such authority, it's going to rock the ceiling tile. Ready? <laughs> Tough crowd. How about this section saying, Honor. You glory people need to hang out with the honor people. This section, if you would say, worthy. worthy. And this section say, holy. holy. On the count of three, you ready? One, two, three. Glory. Let's do it one more time. Ready? Go ahead. Breathe deep, breathe deep. Ready? One, two, three. Glory. Better. Now, where'd that go just now? Carpet? Padded chair? No, up. Towards the sun of righteousness with healing in his wings. And as we begin to produce praise, God begins to prepare perfection. As we begin to build clouds of glory, God allows those clouds to lower and things to fall. And the things that God drops on people are things like healing and things like restoration and things like favor and things like blessing. I've come to a place in my life, if I need a miracle, I build a cloud. If I need an answer, I build a cloud. If I need a favor, I build a cloud because he can work through those who praise him for our God inhabits praise. And those chains that seem to bind you drop powerless behind you when you praise him. Yes. And there's something about corporate praise that's like double fudge. It's like not just, not just Rocky Road, but Rocky Road with pistachio almonds. Now we're rolling. There's something about all of us doing what God has called us to do. I'd like everybody in the house to help me if you'll take those hands and if you do this with me. You hear it? Do this with me. Do this with me. I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. It's beginning to rain, rain, rain. Hear the voice of the Father saying, Whosoever will, that's me. I go into his presence. I don't care what the doctor report says. You know, my mom told me Monday, she's cancer-free. Cancer-free. She's having a tough time with that. And I said, Mom, the same doctor that told you that you, were cancer, that you had cancer is the same doctor that's now telling you you're cancer-free. 
Whose report will you believe? I choose to believe the report of the Lord. And his report says, I am healed. I am blessed. I am anointed. But not without, you ready? Robbie? Scars. Dead things don't produce scars. Dead things produce decay. Mold. Rust. But when you're wounded and you survive, now this generation can't relate. Probably Pastor David and I are probably the only ones that can relate to this. But when you get older, one great source of communication, one great source of conversation is your scars. Oh, you had open heart surgery? I have open heart surgery. You lost your gallbladder? I lost my gallbladder. Hello? How'd you get that scar? Where'd that scar come from? And as you begin to share your scars, it reminds you, Friday I whacked a truck, probably a thousand dollars of the damage to it. It's not worth a thousand, so it's no harm lost. I probably whacked her a thousand dollars of her car. We have insurance. But when I look at my scars, it reminds me of battles I survived. I survived that divorce. I survived that drug abuse. I decided that I, I survived that bank, bankruptcy. I survived that lawsuit. I survived that. And I got the scar to hold up to show God, hey, we did it. Good job, God. We did it. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe this far, and grace will lead me on. We conclude with the provision of the promise. When the storm was over, Job was restored twice everything he lost. I may share with you one day what double honor Isaiah is all about. Hey, can we go back to Isaiah just for a moment? And I wish I had 10 minutes here. I will not take it, I promise you. But after Isaiah saw the Lord, he's the one that declared, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the Lord, uh, I mean the Lord revealed? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our, our iniquities. It was Isaiah said, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth the son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, for he shall save his people from their sins. It was Isaiah that said, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, faith not, and neither is weary. And they that wait upon the Lord, they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as he goes. He goes on says great things but when he died he was murdered as a murderer but that didn't matter because he was not investing what the world had to offer he got his eyes off the world and he saw the Lord high and lifted up and when the call was given he said here am I send me Job gets twice back everything he lost ten, ten children all the wealth for some reason, Moses, who wrote the book of Job while he was hiding from Pharaoh, names the three daughters of Job. I think this is so precious to everybody in this house. After all the storm, 
all the battle, all of the, all the sickness, all of the loss. He names his first daughter a word that means dove. Dove represents to our nation peace, but to the church, the Holy Spirit. Job was saying, through many dangers, all the stuff I went through, God was with me. He never left me. He was there all the time. He was there all the time, waiting patiently in love all the time. The second daughter, he names an ingredient of the apothecary, which means worship. Although Job had nothing to give, no sacrifice, no animals, nothing to give, he never discontinued his attitude of worship. Though he slay me, yet will I praise him. I like to find the Lord, nevertheless he knows the path that I take. The whole book of Job is full of statements of worship. Job said, I put my hand over my mouth so I wouldn't speak. Three times he says that. I put my hand over my mouth so I won't say things stupid. Never lost his worship. And the third daughter, her name means vision. He never lost God's presence. He never stopped God's worship. And he never lost sight of the vision. The purpose and plan that God has for your life. As every head is bowed, as every eye is closed, as Pastor A.C. will come and help me. Look all around. There's nothing but blue clouds, blue skies. We are alive, qualified more than we know to be a great source of strength and hope to others. We will never be immune from trials. Artist of the 60s says, I beg your pardon. I never promised you a rose garden. The word's very clear about dying to yourself, about dragging your cross of many persecutions. But with that cross and with that persecution and with that death, there are moments of bliss. And there are moments of blessing. And there are moments of favor. And there are moments of encouragement. It may seem as if those moments are few and far between. But what God promises, I will not put more on you than you can handle. Call a stress factor. We built buildings in L.A. that were anywhere near the airport. We had to put all kinds of purlings and hangers and steel in the roof. So if a plane were to crash in the building, the building could survive a plane crash. That's called a stress factor. There's more to you than you know. You're tougher than you think, and your best days are ahead. There's more to you than you know. You're tougher than you think, and your best days are ahead. Father, bless this house. Bless this congregation. Bless those that touch it. Bless those that aren't here that should be touching it. Bless those listening on Facebook. Bless those that are hearing by Twitter. Let this message encourage this city, this state, this generation, this nation.
We were created to praise you and worship you. We have the ability to learn. You said we have thousands of instructors, but not many fathers. We have all kinds of books, helps, tapes, CDs, lessons, life. All kinds of things going on. We will worship you. We will learn who we're worshiping. And then as evangelists, we will share what we so freely have received, we will freely give. We pur purpose in our heart and spirit. Guard our words. Guard those words that are spoken to us. Be careful what counsel we receive. Be careful what words we hear or say. Keep us strong and healthy. Let this week be a, a week of blessing and favor, a moment of bliss, a season of encouragement, an hour of extra. In Jesus' name.